to Deeply Disturbing Things, the podcast. I'm Macy. And I am Naomi. And you don't have your headphones on. Damn it. And we're two anxious counselors <laughs> who like to talk about deeply disturbing things. Join us. <laughs> now I am headphoned up. Headphoned up. We got some sake. Some I'm pie. Hi. Mm. Yum, yum. I stopped by Asian this tastes World. Like, I was going to say, this tastes like some good quality. This is I good like quality. Mm, yummy. Only the best. For podcast night. <laughs> I may skimp a little if it's just me, but not for podcast night. It's true. And I look for something, uh, the times that I bring something, it's kind of a, a an agreement of sorts that we made that since I drive out here, Naomi provides the beverage. It's like gas money in your yeah. tummy. And it's totally pays off every time. It's never not equaled out. <laughs> Even on the bad traffic days, that's usually when it kicks in the most. That is true. <laughs> Ah, uh, man. Okay. Can I share something disappointing? Oh, okay. Just a little. So okay. it's personally disappointing. So on my pinky. Yeah. There's this like callus that has built on my pinky. Yeah. Where like the skin feels tougher uh-huh. than normal. And I've been pondering and like really confused. Like what is causing this friction? Okay. I found out that. Uh, I my phone. Look what I do. I sit my well, phone on my pinky, but it's right where the battery thing yeah. is. So I have a weird, okay, feel now just feel it now that you know it's nothing gross. Feel this indent. I have like a legit indent in my pinky finger from setting my phone on it and no, looking it. at it. I I'm get it. Horrified that it's impacting my body. I rest mine on my pinky too. Yeah. Did, I wonder if everybody does. Does everybody rest their phone on their pinky? Everybody feel your pinky and see if you have a little indent in between in like your middle knuckle. Oh, you do too. Yeah. Oh, I feel like I discovered something. <laughs> write, a, write a research paper. I'm really upset about it because. This is actually real. Unlike that one lady's yeah. bogus quote unquote research that she put out that said that because we're looking down at our phones, teens are going to develop a spike in the back of their skull. A spike? Yeah, everybody like... I didn't hear this. <laughs> re, you know how news media, they don't like look into things, but everybody mm-hmm. like re-blasted that and it oh, wasn't actually like based true. on anything. Yeah. Yeah, got it. Yeah, this, this is real. True. Look, look, and this two was, out this of was, two. And I did not even talk to you about this ahead of time. You did not put that indent in your finger. No. I'm just horrified that this is something, because it's, not on my left hand it's on my right hand you can see the indentation yeah crazy so check your pinkies Pinkies are shelves pinky shelves (laughs) who knew (laughs) i always thought it was going to be my chest with like a a beer can oh that wouldn't work for me oh i'm sorry i didn't mean to it's okay show a disparity (laughs) (laughs) i I would, would rather have you know a slide than a shelf that's fine. Uh, it's, it gets to in the way. Their own. <laughs> Sometimes you need a slide. That's right. <laughs> Who goes first? I've lost track. I'm we haven't gonna, done topics for so long. I know. I'm going to say you because I think mine will be better after I drink more. Okay. I like going second more now, even though Do you? sometimes... <laughs> just great. it makes me feel better okay, during the moment look. i can't see the big big my big blue big blues in the way okay my topic is gonna have a plot twist oh. at some point okay isn't that kind of ruining it by saying there's a plot twist at some point definitely okay <laughs> just checking <laughs> 
I am going to talk about psychopaths. I love this. Specifically, I'm going to start out talking about a new model of psychopathy called Mm. the triarchic model. Ooh, I have not heard. So just to get everybody on the same page here, psychopathy is a personality disorder that's associated with being callous, being manipulative, being charming, but like it's superficial. Very self-serving egocentric, being impulsive, taking risks, and just in general, being antisocial. Mm-hmm. Um, some people like to like differentiate psychopathy from sociopathy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really get into that, but I'll just share what like some people think the difference is. Some people say being a psychopath is that it's hereditary antisocial qualities and then being a sociopath means that it's something that happened to you like you had an abusive childhood mm-hmm. or you had a tbi yeah traumatic brain injury which i have seen a lot of um information about the like sp- spectrum within that antisocial realm that like there's many functioning people those traits are still the same but they have a lot of self-awareness about get them into that great i'll stop talking. good foreshadowing I mean, just knowing how you cannot separate nature and nurture, yeah. how interwoven it is, mm-hmm. I'm hesitant to differentiate yeah, those yeah. two. Yeah, I definitely think there's probably both. So I'm just going to use the term psychopath, and it's just going to refer to all, all of the, the above. <laughs> so there are lots of models and measures that have been developed to capture psychopathic personality traits, mm-hmm. um, probably the or super well-known one out there is hair psychopathy checklist, which, you know, we've all self-administered um, at <laughs> night on our laptops. Or our phones that are rested on your pinky. <laughs> and I definitely qualified back when I was um, a teenager. So there's... Haven't we talked about this a little bit? Yeah. About how you're definitely and how I wanted to be but wasn't? No, I 100% was. <laughs> the triarchic model of psychopathy is this new model. So it devel- it identifies three primary domains of being a psychopath. Okay. Boldness, mm. meanness, mm. and disinhibition. I like this because um, one of the one of my biggest issues with personality disorders in general is that according to the DSM five, at least there is no severity rating. Boo, DSM five. So, like, you could have someone where, like, yeah, sure, they could qualify, but it. I know I'm full. I'm getting excited. Um, where they could qualify for a personality disorder, but it doesn't like negatively impact their life or social situations in any way but others it does, but there's no way to like track that. It's like categorical check marks versus dimensional. Another reason the DSM-5 sucks. Suck sucks. it, DSM-5. We need dimensions of severity based on we many life factors. We need a lot more than the DSM-5 offers. Please. This new model was formulated to reconcile contrasting conceptions of psychopathy that Um, are found in historical writings and different contemporary assessment measures, and also to try to resolve issues in the field that continue to persist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I'm teaching a psychopathology class right now. And this, mm, so this, this topic, it makes a lot of the like new counselors, they get really excited around this topic because I think it's so sensationalized as well in media. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting to me as a recovering psychopath. <laughs> I, I wish I knew. This is part of my journey. I w- it, this is yellow jackets <laughs> all over again. I wish I knew you back then because then I would have been Shauna. Was that right? You're Shauna. Shauna. I was, I was a, not. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Have you seen Good Girls? No. Should oh. I? Is it a recommend? You should. I would. Okay. Yes. Um, I've also been related to Beth in that as okay. well, which is very much a Shauna, but more like a mob boss I'll check for housewives. In. Do you want to um, take uh, it? S- no, see oh. proof of that I have weird circulation. Ew. That I've always had my whole life. It doesn't always happen. I don't, I don't know why I want to say you, but I feel grossed out. Sure. Okay. Yes. Feel you. the difference in my skin. I knew I was going to have to touch something. Look, you can see the difference. This one's all purple. It's hot. It? It's yeah. just a hot hand. I don't like now it. Now feel this one. Ew. Cold hand. I've had that my whole life. It's all gross. Isn't that wait, so weird? wait, why? Hold on. Ew. I know. Why? It's circulation. I that's like a like a hundred percent different. I know. I've always had it. It that's, doesn't always happen, but that's now and like then. when you leave your hand holding something for too long, and this one's like you've been sitting on it for an hour. I know, but I've been just sitting here in front of you. I've I been know. doing I've done nothing different. Wow. I know. It's weird. Are my hands different? No. No, yours are both pasty. <laughs> Equally pasty. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's how you find me on the Instas. <laughs> so let's uh, dive in a little bit to those three um, distinct yet intersecting constructs. And again, disinhibition, boldness, and meanness. Mm. So disinhibition has to do with being impulsive, mm-hmm. having weak restraint, being hostile and mistrustful, and having difficulties in regulating emotion. And meanness has to do with having insufficient empathy or lack of entirely empathy, mm-hmm. having an inability to form social bonds or not even wanting to form social bonds, like just lacking that capacity, mm-hmm. having contempt towards others. <laughs> and being exploitative mm-hmm. in a predatory way mm-hmm. and finding power, being empowered through being cruel or destructive. Mm-hmm. And from what I know of people who function, they often have to like remove themselves out of social situations to reduce the risk of them preying on somebody or taking advantage of someone's weaknesses. Um, and have to very intentionally figure out why it wouldn't benefit them. Like everything benefits them for what they act on. That's always a reason. Yeah. The third one is the boldness. And this means like you have confidence, socially assertive, emotional resiliency. And I love this word, venturesomeness. Ooh, venturesomeness. I like, that's I like a lot that. of syllables. Venturesomeness. I mean, that's kind of like the, almost like the dangerousness, like all those other things only work if they're bold enough to be 
and uh, venturousness. Venturesomeness. Yeah. I feel like I have enough that. Venture. Like, venture. I have drive, ambition, See, all that. That I'm, I'm missing that. <laughs> I'll just, sell you some of mine. I would just sometimes mine's not. overactive. That's okay. I don't, I don't know what to do with somebody else's. <laughs> So this triarchic model, this new model, um, combines from from one conception. It's derived from psychiatric inpatients. So from that conception of psychopathy, mm. it emphasized boldness accompanied by disinhibition. Okay. So think about that setting, a psychiatric inpatient. Mm -hmm. So boldness and disinhibition combining. So you can mm -hmm. kind of see how that would play out more in that setting, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. For the, those people mm -hmm. to kind of end up on that path. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that theory really comes from somebody who's a pioneer in the field of psychopathy called Hervey Milton Kleckler. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a book called the mask of sanity oh. that was originally published in 41 and it provided the most influential clinical description of psychopathy in, in the 20th century. And it's still highly referenced today. Hmm. So that's one of the perspectives that are um, used in the triarchic model. The other is used on conceptions based on criminal offender populations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the first was looking at psychiatric Hospital. inpatients. This is criminal offenders. And this emphasizes tendencies towards meanness and disinhibition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of see like maybe different motivations. Yeah. Yeah. With that. So you still have that disinhibition, like you're going to still do things, act on urges, but it's kind of like a, a mean spin to it. Which versus is the other one, which is just um, bold. And <laughs> well, and that one, um, it almost strikes me like the label is obviously put by someone who doesn't have antisocial personality because it's, it's mean to us. Right. To them, there's no, it's not like, there's like not an emotion might, tied to it. It's, like it's a, it's a, yeah, it's, it's associating almost, an intent that yeah, might not be there. Yeah. It's more like, is this person willing to cross line A or line C way over here that's now violating someone's rights, which to them, like, doesn't have an emotion attached, but we feel it does. Exact to fucking lickly. I've fucking loved the lootly that. Yes. Because I did a lot of shit that people thought was mean, but I wasn't like trying to be mean. Yeah. I'm, I was just doing my thing. Yeah, it's it's a means to an end and whatever it takes to get there. So they may not even view that as a scale. It's just, do you have what I need and what does it take to do that? And is it worth it enough for me to get there? Bingo. Bingo was his name-o. Bingo fucking lootly. <laughs> so with this triarchic model that's blending these things, individuals that are high in disinhibition would. So inability to like hold back on those yes, things. Would get the diagnosis of psychopathy mm -hmm. if they're also high in either boldness okay. and or meanness. So mm -hmm. it can be one or the other. Okay. Which would give that like that. more detached mm -hmm. kind of indifferent predatory mm -hmm. callous expression but they wouldn't get the diagnosis if they're only bold or mean. You have to have the disinhibition. Yeah. 
Okay. Like that's a key element with this model. Well, which to me is why these studies were done from a hospital and <laughs> wow, I hope everyone so uncouth. Um, you overfilled my glass. Um, <laughs> sorry, let me get my thought back. So why this had to do with hospitals and criminal settings is that they had to have been basically someone who has a functioning level of psychopathy yeah, yeah, yeah. wouldn't show up to outpatient mental health to work on themselves. <laughs> like that's not how that works. <laughs> um, they don't see a problem with it. So they wouldn't just show up unless there was some problem occurring in their life. Or basically if someone in their life forced them to, maybe I could see that scenario. Otherwise it's so severe that they're either being criminally charged with something or they're being hospitalized. One or the other. So if you're just bold or mean, sorry, you're not a psychopath. No, nope. you got to also you be just, disinhibited. You just get to live your life and figure <laughs> it out and have some consequences. So due to time, I'm not going to get into this in any sort of detail, but there are strong links between the triarchic model and neurobiology, which, okay. you know, I love neuroscience. That's my secret parallel universe career. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but on one interesting note in this area, these findings, together with looking at work at the callous, unemotional variant of child conduct disorder, so being callous and like unfeeling, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they find, you know, that that's hereditary. And so that really points to callous unemotionality or meanness in this scale mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. being biologically based. So you're just born mean. Yeah, I'm well born because I, I think there's a difference between someone who's mean in an emotional way, like angry, like someone who's domestic violence, for example, in, in this aspect. And just this, mean. Versus manipulative, see how far I can get, <laughs> which is mean, but it's different than an I'm so angry mean, perhaps. So this meanness would show up as predatory behaviors yeah, yeah, yeah. when trying to like meet needs um, without being concerned for others. So it's that mm -hmm. lack of concern for others. Just mm -hmm. I'm, I'm doing me mm -hmm. treat myself. Mm -hmm. So that is shown to be biologically based. Yeah. Okay. So parents, okay. if you have that kind of kid, it's not your fault. Not your fault. No shame game. <laughs> An interesting point, this you kind of were uh, touching on this a minute ago, that has been debated is whether antisocial or criminal behavior, so this is outcomes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. should be considered as defining features of psychopathy kind of, oh, yeah, like, or should just be considered a consequence or expression of psychopathy. I mean, I kind of view like conduct disorder in kids, like there's some sort of legal something, laws, some violation of moral but should codes. that be a criteria? I would say it's something like a personality disorder. Because what if though. you're never caught? Then you wouldn't have the diagnosis. Well, but that's, again, what's the point of a diagnosis? Treatment. <laughs> well, it should be. Etiology yeah. and treatment. But Exactly. But so to me, a diagnosis mm -hmm. doesn't mean anything unless they're seeking treatment or so if, if they go our, Okay. <laughs> so going off of that, okay. if your treatment objective yeah. is not getting in trouble, yeah. so what are we teaching you? Be smarter criminal. 
Yeah. Don't get caught. Well, but the, if it's something that's hereditary, though, then which was me, then then they have to learn more, which is teaching them to be even more manipulative, how to use the way they think in a way that won't get them in trouble. Yeah. Even more manipulative. Um, yes. So I, there's no way around it. I'm on the side of I don't think it should be a diagnostic criteria. I think it's should be considered a consequence or expression of psychopathy because there's people out there that have done some terrible shit and have never been caught. Does that mean they don't get the diagnosis? I don't think so. Cause the thing is, is so even like with conduct disorder, it doesn't mean that they've been, they, that they have to have been charged, but but they're in trouble. But if they're doing thing, like if they come into counseling and they're doing that level of stuff and you're finding it out and they would definitely would be charged. Would you rule, would you say they don't have conduct disorder? Well, maybe I would have gotten some help if I would have been a stupider criminal, but I got away with almost everything I did. <laughs> the only times I, I got was... arrested were for being a runaway, for not a runaway. for actually committing any crimes, which I committed a lot. I just don't think Statute they're going to come... limitations has run out, suckas. And they're not going to, I just, I don't. I honestly don't see the point at that <laughs> because they're if they don't come in willingly voluntarily at an outpatient level overall, then it's not very preventative or treatment focused. It's all like you said, like, like if it's inpatient and it's harm reduction, I have more bottles. So don't feel like you have to hold. Back. I have been sipping. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I just want to tell you. Thanks. Gets you a word. I was. <laughs> don't been, be worried. I've been watching. The you think I just get us this little teeny I was counting. I was like, this is my, my third. This is, she just poured her fifth. Hey, no tally boards. I can't help it. (laughs) It's only because I thought I was getting less. (laughs) There's more in the fridge. It's not judging you at all. And I got other nice kinds too. So we'll be like, it's like a sample. Saki sampler. There you go. Come pie. (laughs) I can't juggle. (laughs) Juggle. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever I was saying, it doesn't matter. Go ahead. Okay. So this is another thing you touched on. The successful psychopath. And successful is quote unquote. Um, I don't like the term touched on. Okay. Well, you mentioned it. Okay. Well, you also mentioned your hands being different. And I've been waiting this whole time for that to be relevant to something. I thought that was like. No, I just in. noticed and I thought I would share. Oh, because of my pinky notice. No, I just noticed. Oh. And thought I would share. Just now noticed. Well, when I mentioned it, I noticed. When you mentioned it. And okay. I thought I would share because it's interesting, I think. I've just been waiting. And see, it's gone now. I've been waiting it doesn't for- last long. Now they're equally hot. Oh. Yeah. It's only like weird on occasion it happens. Is it like hives in your hand? No. I mean, I've had it since I was like my whole life. It's so weird. Is it because you're nervous? I don't know. Because now is. you're not nervous because you've had five. No, I don't think it's nerves. Oh it's God. not nerves. And it doesn't happen very often at all. Maybe like a couple times a year. What? But it just happened. I know. Oh. You're lucky. You're here. You Wait, got to experience is it. Is that like a good luck thing? You got to experience the hot, cold hands of Naomi. <laughs> <laughs> a rare event. It's like a blood moon or wow, something. Wow, that's exciting. I don't know what that is. Okay. <laughs> the successful psychopath. Okay. Sorry, I shouted. That was very loud. Um. <laughs> <laughs> So this is considered the person that has successfully expressed their psychopathy, which basically means they're not in prison or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's like, 
I don't know. Like there's so many variations in thinking. Like they've made it work, whatever that means. They made it function. So psychopathy is a risk factor for violent behavior. That's been research proven. Mm -hmm. But many psychopathic individuals refrain from antisocial and criminal acts. Mm -hmm. And the reason for this has been tested and it's Mm -hmm. called the the model of a successful psychopath. (laughs) Okay. So this model posits that these individuals are able to develop greater conscientious traits that serve to inhibit their heightened antisocial impulses. So it was a a pretty good research study, seven-year longitudinal study. That's pretty good, yeah. On 1,354 educated adolescents. Yeah, good sample. And so this the study really supported the theory that psychopathic individuals who develop greater self-regulatory control over their impulses become more successful than the others. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's roundabout what I've seen too. So despite popular perception, most psychopaths aren't cold blooded or psychotic killers. Most of them live successfully among us. They walk up among us. They use their traits to get what they want in life, perhaps at the expense of others. Mm -hmm. So not all psychopaths become serial killers and not all serial killers are psychopaths. Yes. But the FBI has noted certain traits shared between known serial killers and antisocial personality disorders. So to review, these include predatory behavior, lack of remorse. So you might expect them to be guilty, but they're not. If they're crying, they're feeling sorry for themselves, Mm -hmm. not for what they did. Well, and even that, um, they may be marking up the person and trying to figure out what reactions are expected and giving the reactions like pose based on each person they because again like they don't just put themselves in a new situation like show show up at a party with all these new people and react normally that's not what happens like they they it's learn, all calculated they learn about people and gauge how they respond to what that person thinks they should respond like so another trait of known serial killers that had antisocial personality disorders was the need for power and control over others. Mm -hmm. So predatory behavior, lack of remorse, impulsivity, and the need for power control. Um, One interview I saw the, the man said that he like when asked, did you feel like an odd one out when you were a kid growing up and everyone else's emotional or reacting to things and he thought he was normal and that everyone else was really odd it was kind of like looking in on other people's behavior but feeling like well but I'm it's that kind of ego trait right like what I'm experiencing is right even though the rest are different yeah I didn't feel that but I remember that brought up a memory like the last night of like summer camp, everybody would be crying, crying, crying. Mm -hmm. And I I, like literally felt like no desire to cry. Like, I mean, I I was like, Oh, I'll miss you. Mm -hmm. Like I had that level, Mm -hmm. but like, no sad. No, that's why everyone in Derby always cry. And says like, I, but I remember wanting (laughs) to cry to fit in. Like I was just like upset by it kind of. I'm like, can I like fake cry somewhere? Yeah. Is there like some drops I can put in my eye? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, 
poke myself in the eye or something. Like I wanted to do it to fit in because I I felt different and I didn't like that. Well, and just to show how much the brain is involved here, that same person also had, he developed a bipolar diagnosis and all of a sudden he, he had big highs, big lows out of nowhere. And he said like, it was so startling because he had been used to feeling no emotion up Mm, to that point. And then all of a sudden these huge emotional swings in the in-between and until he got medicated, like he was going to be hospitalized. It got so bad. And then once he was medicated, it was back to his normal Mm, self. Got it. The brain, it's a fascinating organ. Organ. Okay. A few famous psychopaths suspected. Suspected. Allegedly. Allegedly. Psychopaths from modern history. Your former topic, Albert Fish. I was about to say that, yeah. With the monkey and peewees. Yeah. Was it pee- monkeys and peewees? Is that I, don't, I don't know. Something. I, oh, peewees was in there. Pe- my- I don't know. Gosh, we've done too many. I can't. We've done I too can't. many. Charles Manson. We talked about someone. We talked about like Gacy, I think. Yeah. Someone else. I mean, all, like all those folks. Dahmer. Yeah. They're okay. all suspected psychopaths. A modern one, Elizabeth Holmes. Oh. So, you know, was I just did. convicted of criminal fraud recently. I don't remember what her face looks like. What was she like? In? Blonde. I mean, this is really recent. She. Mm. Um, I'm so bad. I don't know. Like, lied about having this technology that could, like, diagnose everything with a single drop of blood and got all these billionaires to, like, invest. And she was, like, a billionaire. We know it's not true. (laughs) So she just got convicted of criminal fraud. Girls, the DSM wouldn't exist. Look up her face. Elizabeth Uh Holmes. All right. You need a face with a story. Yelling at Don't look. Don't look. I'm not looking. Okay. You didn't see anything, did you? No, I didn't. Your reaction time's down because you're on your seventh sake. But I have two hot hands now, so my reaction time is actually up. Oh, that's frightening. Okay, I thought this would help. I still have no idea who she is. Um, great. Okay, but you Thank see, you. like, you know, social. Yeah, outlook. I see. She looks pretty blonde and tall and skinny. Great. So I think that's what you need to get people to invest in your fraudulent company. Or invest in anything of yours. It's just be blonde, good looking. That's how it goes. <laughs> Sorry. So We're the, both. Say We're the two brunettes. Says the two. <laughs> we're not bitter though here's here's a couple two three four uh fictional suspected psychopaths Mm. king joffrey yeah (laughs) game of thrones i can see that the governor from the walking dead although he is i mean okay what governor from the walking dead oh yeah okay i see more governor than i see joffrey joffrey's like a little I don't know. Maybe what? like ex- what is intermittent explosive disorder. I don't know. Like <laughs> he has too much emotion under everything he does. And he doesn't plan. It's very emotional. He doesn't plan through very well either. He'd be a very bad. So example. he's high on that one. The one of the three of the try that has like the unregulated emotion. Okay. Okay. I'll give yeah. him that. I'll give him that. Picture like a, a Venn diagram with the three. He'd be like, a lot of the three. A lot of the three. Okay. I like the Venn diagram. Me too. Comment. A good fictional fictional psychopath. Fictional. I, my brain went there. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. Uh, yes. I definitely see that. Yes. So just to review for our psychology friend listeners out there, here are the criteria for the DSM-5 diagnosis 
of antisocial personality disorder. You have to have disregard for and violation of others' rights since age 15. So there's going to be like a previous conduct disorder diagnosis. Yeah. And again, that kind of leads to the idea that there is some genetics there, that, but it might take, you know, more freedom for it to start expressing itself <laughs> publicly. So in addition to my laundry list of concerns with the DSM-5, you only have to have one <laughs> of the seven sub-features. Like, That's not very I many. think you need more. Like, to diagnose with fucking psychopathy? But Come yeah, on. that's like my whole thing is like, that's a lot. So I mean, that's you... a heavy diagnosis to hang on somebody off of one criteria. And nobody wants that diagnosis. What does that mean? That everyone's going to assume you're a serial killer for the rest of your life. Exactly. Like, that's so sucks. stigmatizing. So stig. I have a big thing against personality disorders in general. I would just like yes. to say I, it's a bad label, the word personality. So you only have to have one of these. Failure to obey laws and norms, I hate that word, by engaging in behavior <laughs> which results in criminal arrest or wait, 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 criminal arrest. Wait, can you back it up to number one and I'm going to go well, off this of is what number I one. About. Okay, check. I'm going off of you. Go. Well, I'm just saying. I know. I'm saying that's Which you. results You're already, in criminal arrest already, or that's wood it. warrant? That's it right there. But You're done. The wood warrant. I hate that. Okay. Lying, deception, and manipulation. Yes. Two. But they say for uh, profit or self-amusement, which I don't That's like self-amusement. What the fuck does that even mean? No, and again. This self-amusement? What is it, the Joker? I really think that some <laughs> context. amuse you? That's where. Did Stella, Stella had it on tighter or looser than me. Are you me trying to say your, your head is smaller not toddler size? Yeah. <laughs> no, that it, it's smaller. Um, so a lot of the language is written in a way that like, if you were interviewing, if we were doing a diagnostic yeah. interview, you that wouldn't you wouldn't agree to that no self-amusement no exactly. that's not why i lied you're gonna get defensive I and tell me why you lie that's what's gonna i happen. lied for survival which <laughs> right. i would say okay. for a lot of people is the case is the case well and especially if it's coming from trauma so okay so with that exactly coming from trauma that, it's survival this is supposed to be a diagnostic tool how is this helping people diagnose when it's gearing, it's, not helpful. it's gearing them to ask questions that are inappropriate and not effective? Yeah, you're basically saying, are you the joker? Yeah, you're ruining rapport right off the bat by making them sound awful versus it like... It sounds petty. Yeah, yeah. Versus like, okay, I get that. Other, like, yeah. it may look really bad, this, but you had a purpose involved. This Tell does me no justice that. to etiology whatsoever. No, and like, let's just err on the side that like people are doing the best they oh. fucking can. Are we out of the bottle already? Yeah. Okay. okay. You... People you, uh, are doing the best they can. All right. And <laughs> the diagnosis categories, especially in personality disorders across the board, borderline personality, BPD, has well. a lot of trauma background. Um, that's beautiful. You know, um, I don't even diagnose BPD. I only diagnose I trauma. PTSD. Do you know what really bothers me? It's so me? stigmatizing. Well, but that's all. So complex trauma doesn't exist in the DSM-5. I know, but which it is stupid. But it exists in the ICD-10, a different diagnosing criteria so it's really ridiculous it totally is just on what your profession has adopted i which, only got his fancy sake by the way 
That's You're great. Welcome. I'm going to not mix my sake. So I'm going to drink this. Okay. All right. I'm going to it a little bit. Go ahead. Impulsive behavior. Okay. That could be ADHD. That could be anxiety. That could be a lot of things. Um, so just you're impulsive, you're a psychopath. And so, yeah, which is like ADHD. Check. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really, I hate that. Um, irritability and aggression. Ooh, this one burns your nose a little bit. Manifested as frequently assaults others or engages in fighting. Eh. Yeah, sure. Blatantly disregards <laughs> safety of self and others. Risk taking. Okay. I, I was mean, 100% there. Yeah. I mean, I get that too. Some I thought I like was psychosis. like a race car driver. Psychosis sometimes could lead to that as well. A or pattern, di- or a pattern of irresponsibility. Okay. Or dissociation. What? Like a pattern of irresponsibility. That could be like any of us anyway. at any time. Well, that's how I feel about the whole pre men <laughs> or not premenstrual, but the menstrual oh, disorder. Do not but, like, get me started. <laughs> A different topic for a different With day. With the illusion of bloating. Illusion of bloating. Uh, <laughs> Fuck right off. <laughs> All right. I've read that list. And it's I'm, not an illusion when I can't button my pants. Well, and there's like research that shows that like cramp pain can be as severe as heart attack pain. And yet it's like, you should go to work and power through that. And like tampon ads are like, you can go and ride a horse. I want to ride a horse. Well, I'm blood flooding from my vagina. No, I'm having a heart attack in my crotch. Can somebody please have sympathy for me? Yeah, no. I mean, I not once again, if, Sorry. if other people around the world, it would be different. Um, and the last one, number seven, lack of remorse for actions. Bingo. Okay, so, that one's a good one. I mean, I when I was a teenager, you know, I would have had conduct disorder, not this, because you have to be 18, mm-hmm. but... Still, Product disorder tends to lead one, to one, two, <laughs> uh, three, four. So, and four solid ones. Okay, and let me, um, as an adolescent, I would have had none of those. Wow. Okay, stop looking. I'm not. I'm. I'm looking at your face. Look at me. Look at you. Look at me. Look at you. That's okay. What I'm doing. Okay. Some research. So the common um, per- perception out there or understanding out there is that psychopaths and a social behavior, like it's incurable. I a hundred percent disagree. I'm living proof, but research now is also suggesting that psychopaths do have degrees of empathy, but there's an innate ability yeah. to switch it off or on at will. And that's what I experienced personally. Mm-hmm. Like I had to, it was a combination of intention and shocking is circumstances it, that turn mine on. Okay. Is it kind of like the level of disinhibition part? Like you would have more ability to. To, yeah. Like control them? your impulses. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Christian Kiesers, who wrote the empathic brain, um, which I read has done some really exciting early research to show empathy and psychopaths can actually be rehabilitated. I agree with that. Is this the twist? You pulled out paper. So I feel so like that was all well and good. Well and good until she took the freaking test. No, no, no. No? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. So this model, paper? this model, the triarchic model of psychopathy mm-hmm. has been adapted <gasps> for use with cats. <laughs> 
I think I know what the plot twist was. <laughs> cats. 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 A new study from researchers at the University of Liverpool and Liverpool John Moores University published in the Journal of Research and Personality, they explored how the triarchic model of psychopathy could be adapted for felines. 100%. I'm surrounded by cats and I'm excited for this. Let's go. They recruited 2,042 participants. Good sample size. Good. We can generalize this out to the population. Yes. To assess their cat's behavior across a number of categories. Categories. Ah! (laughs) The resulting questionnaire also assesses, just like the human um, measure, levels of boldness, Mm. disobition, and meanness. Little bastard. So I copied you your own copy. You could take it home and on your own time do your own cats. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. I plan to do mine for Kiwi, who I've always said was a psychopath. I'm doing mine for Sabrina. Sabrina's definitely more of a psychopath. Here's the problem with this measure. This measure is designed for indoor Okay. Outdoor cats. And Kiwi's indoor only, and outdoor. Yeah. Sabrina's Kiwi's sometimes. only indoor. Mm. So I started it and I'm like, oh, this is not going to be valid. Okay. Okay. But I did want to point out a couple of a the interesting <laughs> items. <laughs> I really want to do this. Do, is there a marker? So my cat sits in high places. That's uh-huh. one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the top of the sofa, the top of the stairs. Mm-hmm. Yes, QA does that 100%. Mm-hmm. She likes to look down on you. And I'm sorry, but your cat absolutely 100% is. I don't even need this piece of paper. <laughs> no, you keep that for your cat. No, I will. But still. Um, my cat torments their prey rather than killing it straight away. See, I am with my, an indoor cat, you can't really I am my cat's that. prey. <laughs> and I get tortured every morning between 3 to 5 a.m. Um, my cat demands attention, so taps people with their paw to play. Kiwi does not do that. My Kiwi cat, mm. does not want my attention at all. Sabrina she would never come up. My attention either, unless it's in the morning. Oh wait, Kiwi does manipulatively. If Asher's not here, uh-huh. Kiwi suddenly is circling around yeah, my ankle. We've had times where all yes. of a sudden she's really nice to me. All of a sudden she was a here, yeah. like what? Yeah, it's and then. So and manipulative. Then I went to her and then she tried to bite me. It's that manipulative mm-hmm. predatory behavior. It's yes. resource seeking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Damn it. My cat walks or sits on items that I'm trying to use, like your laptop or books. Like a little asshole. Kiwi does not do that because um, she doesn't come near me. Really. Do you know, so Sabrina, I she jumped up on top of this bookcase trying to get to my gecko tank. Mm. Who he recently lost his tail because of one of the cats. Oh. I know. So so I pick her up and I say, no, she wasn't the, the one that did that, by the way. But I, I chased her away. She comes back and she has this look of like, all right, fuck you. And she comes in and jumps up there again. And when I'm like, get down, she looks at me, looks at the spot she has to jump jump to and just launches for it. See? Go ahead. Uh, My cat is easily distracted, stares at or meows at what appears to be nothing. Cats be weird. I hate it when they just are looking in the corner. And I can't see what they're looking at. Like, what do they see that I don't see? Swiggy just meows at the door constantly until you let him out. He knows that he will drive you nuts. Psychopath. Psychopath. Psycho cat. My cat disobeys the house (laughs) rules. Walking on worktops, tables, climbs on curtains, runs away when called. Tries to jump in the fish tank. Yeah, cats listen or don't listen. My cat hides and jumps out at people or pets from behind doors, counters. Yes. Or worktops. So 
One thing that Kiwi does, which I think is her meanest feature, look, I'm assigning intent to it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is I'll just be walking through a room, like just walking through a straight path and she will be hiding under something and reach her claw out really quickly and scratch the shit out of my ankle. I hate that. Like I've done nothing to her. And I have to say, I don't think mine fall under the meanness at all. Actually. They don't do things like that. They just, they do more the attention seeking of like, I'm going to lay next to you at three in the morning, put your paw on the face and then put the claws out and dry. Well, remember you need inhibition and either meanness or boldness. Meanness alone does not do it. Boldness. Probably. My cat does not appear to act guilty after misbehaving. Kiwi does not give a F. Yeah, Sabrina, don't I'm like, oh, and I'm bleeding. She doesn't care. No, no. Her cold, dead eyes remain the same through the entire thing. Swiggy feels shame. I know that. <laughs> My cat displaces another pet cat from favorable positions. Yes, Kiwi does that. So we have the urban cat climber wall in the living room. Mm-hmm. And there's three beds in it for each cat. Lane used to have the top cat spot. Mm-hmm. Now it's Kiwi's spot. Wow. She displaced Lane. I know that when I go on trips, Sabrina intentionally ignores me for like three days. She doesn't like if I come upstairs, she goes downstairs. And it's it's like three days before she's like, fine, you can touch me and be around me again. Attachment disorder. <laughs> right. <laughs> That my cat doesn't like to be petted. Kiwi, 100%. Oh, I can get three pets in and I have to do them really quick. I'm, I can count two. One, yeah, two, three, and then I have to reach that's away. That's like the meanness again. Because then like, or really? she'll latch Why? on Why? teeth and claws on my hand and I will be bleeding. Mm-hmm. Look at this scar. This is from a cat. That's a big scar. No, this was like, I thought I might need to go to the hospital. That this was bad. not even from Kiwi. This was from another cat. So. I mean, I would say it's probably fair to say that most cats are psychopaths. It's only the like small percentage <laughs> that aren't. Uh, and the last my one God. I wanted to point out, my cat hurts when attacking people or animals. So that means they're getting pleasure from pain. So this is like a legitimate measure. It told it has how to score it do and this everything. For each cat when I get home. Um, yeah. So report back on your your cat triarchic psychopathy catastrophe. Okay. Score. So that was my topic. Psychopaths. Cool cat psychopaths i i mean i don't know how our topics relate i'll let you okay i always like to try to find a connection okay okay now you can't look at my okay i'll scoot over here okay all right here we go okay let's do it oh okay i didn't like me doing that okay so i'm gonna guess what what yes how am i supposed to guess i don't know it's so vast it is so vast (laughs) um i'm going to talk about i'm going to talk about the deeply disturbing world of facial hair. Oh, right. It's okay. like it's so obviously there, but it is, but not talked about. So let's talk about it. I want to talk about it because no, this is boy, so did I learn a lot. No, this is actually there's a connection to my trip to Portland. Tell me, should I save it? No, save. Tell me now. Now, now. So by happen chance, <laughs> what is okay? it happenstance? But I like happen chance better. Happens. It is. Am I wrong? No, you're right, and I'm right. We're both okay. (laughs) Psychopath. (laughs) No, no, no. You're right, but I'm also right. 
find my made-up word. Hey, I'm in recovery. Here's me, like, oh, wait, am I wrong? Just, just opening the door for you. We're both, we're both right. Okay. All right. Admit nothing. Okay. So, while we're in Portland, mm -hmm, <laughs> you know, we're doing all the things, and we went to the Portland Art Museum. Yes. And I was super excited because it happened that <laughs> it happened there. It happened there. It happened there that there was a, a Frida Kahlo exhibit going on. And oh. I'd um, never seen a full exhibit. Um, and something that was very, like, notable and intentional is all of Frida Kahlo's, like, self-purchase really accentuated her facial hair. Okay. Like the mustache, mustache and the unibrow were very like prominent mm -hmm. and accentuated, which I believe this is just a guess was just to um, like celebrate cultural pride, you know, mm -hmm. and pride in who she was um, because there's photos also of her and like it wasn't as prominent as mm -hmm. in all her self-portraits. So yeah, it was like yeah. a sense of pride. Like, I'm going to point this out. Yeah, I have a mustache. What of it? It's fine. And we'll talk about some of these things. Great. Not, I'm ready. Not specifically that. But not specifically Frida. Not specifically Frida. <laughs> not Frida. Oh. Frida Kahlo. I was trying to teach it to Stella and she said, Frida Avocado. That's close. That's Pretty close. pretty close. That's pretty there. Okay, so there's really only two types of facial hair. Beards and moustache. That's like the, <laughs> the most identified. Or a combination of both. Uh, the brow is not considered? Mm, no. Or what about a sideburn? We'll get to sideburn. Okay. We'll get to sideburn. Technically, yes. Um, but these are what have been like culturally identified as facial hair. Think about it as like a taxonomy of human traits like we made up to try to make sense of facial hair families <laughs> and really the beards and mustaches are like the genus like and their yeah. many varieties are the species <laughs> i think people are um unsure on how to agree on what is a beard versus a mustache yeah yes versus what is i mean a combo. to me that is just non-educated about facial hair from now what i've learned <laughs> I think because like, they all have names what's even. the difference between no, they, a skirt and dress they all Similar. have categories and names are we gonna discuss the goatee we're gonna talk about a lot of things yes here. so okay here we go I, I mean why talk about this why not is kind of my point so in 2015 there was a uh a big push and growing trend about beardedness and the national beard. And yes, this is true. National beard and mustache championship that took place that year in Brooklyn. No beards are big. Beards are I big. Mean, we have state. our own club. In Spokane. Mm -hmm. So this was in um, products, everything. There was a, uh, the year prior in 2014 in the New York post ran a story about men in Brooklyn paying as much as $8,500 for facial hair transplants in order to grow better beards. So like there's, where do they transplant it from their pubes? I mean, that's a 
Probably, probably. I mean, what makes that texture? Okay, sorry. I'm just guessing. Okay. Probably limited length there, though. I think. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. Facial hair grew more popular over the last decade. Um, It really became the most full-blown phenomenon of 21st century maleness. Yeah, it's like that whole lumberjack hipster look. Yeah, maleness, whatever. Um, it even had a little kind of cameo at the beginning of COVID when media outlets stumbled on some infographic about from the CDC saying about how the mask fits over the beard. Do you remember that like being a thing? No. Where they talked about like which facial hairstyles were okay for a standard respirator. So this was a thing and was spread all over facial, me- facial media. <laughs> facial media. <laughs> I'm going to show you the picture. This is what it was actually shared by the CDC. It has like a ton of different facial hairstyles that are okay to wear the masks with. Well, we did, you know, fit testing for N95s at work and the fit tester said, if you have a beard, it's just not going to fit on your face. Um, Just deal with it. What I'd have to say is- You're breathing the COVID. Have you looked at the 36 distinct styles and compared with CDC's beard matching system? Because if not, then, then maybe you don't know enough. Well, these were people that had like, the big yeah that's where, not on there. where it was like bushing out around the mask it's not the soul patch or the goatee or the fu manchu the english or the handlebar my uncle had like a badass fu manchu yeah but yeah. interestingly and confusingly only on one side interesting <laughs> that is interesting um and confusing and confusing so there's 14 I don't know if that was a mishap. I mean, like, I, like shaved it off. I wasn't like an accident. I wasn't going to ask. Hmm. He was older, you know, Genetic respect maybe. your elders. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't say it. Naomi, someone told you once. Um, there's 14 mustaches on this list from the CDC, 12 beards, nine beard mustache hybrids and a clean shaven option. This chart also revealed something that they hadn't thought of before, which is that facial hair doesn't seem very functional. So let's talk about this. Why do we even have facial hair? And like, let's talk, we'll talk men specifically or those who are on hormone therapy even. Okay. So I know why uh, one of the common. What? Is what is one of the common? And I'll tell to you. To cover a weak chin. To hide um, a weak chin. True. Or to hide the the non-chin. That's uh, a weak chin. You mean the neck fat? Oh no, that's extra chin. <laughs> yeah, hide the extra chin or a weak chin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You either have not enough or too many. Or I've heard um, hide like acne scars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, which so, are valid. It's valid. Scientists actually aren't sure, which is kind of surprising that we haven't like pinpointed this. So their evolutionary guess, um, if you want to, you know, step back to see the forest for the trees. Oh, yeah. I mean, whiskers. you're not going to get one till after puberty. So that would be a sign of like virility. Okay. So facial hair is not functional per research in the way that it thought. Many thought it was to keep your face warm in cool climates, which, which would mean it's an evolutionary thing in that regard but then you forget about all the women who don't have it so that doesn't make sense. well and like cultures like in mongolia where they're living outside in the cold and they don't often have like these yeah and giant from, and from what we know beards. like the hair does that enough from what research shows like the facial hair doesn't like add anything to that so aren't they soup catchers 
Yes, you can like have a snack. That's this is why this is fun to do second because I get all the commentary. Um, so it's not very functional. It's more ornamental, and all, all the physical features on the human body, including other kinds of hair, facial hair is the only one that is purely ornamental. So everything else has a. Function. It's like a peacock. A peacock. That, it doesn't do any, it doesn't perform a function of any kind. Okay. So that being said, here's the other function, like pure functions, at least body hair, other body hair regulates thermoregulation, monitors thermoregulation in our body. Head hair protects your scalp from the sun and also traps in heat in cold weather. Eyelashes are like the screen doors for the eyes, keeping bugs and dust and debris out of your eyeballs. Eyebrows have a purpose. They impede sweat from getting into the eyes. That is their actual biological function. Wow. Crazy. I just learned that. Armpit hair, technically called axillary hair. Axillary. <laughs> collects and disseminates pheromones while acting like a WD-40 of body hair, reducing friction between the skin as we walk. Sweet. Right? And then pubic hair, don't think I forgot, also helps reduce in friction as well as provides layer of protection from bacteria and other pathogens. And then I'm like, okay, so like, what about the shaving craze of the crotch? Like that totally is a thing. Are they just, is that just friction everywhere now? People get friction burns? I well, think so. I think you're just like getting rid of your like protective screen of curly hairs. That's literally what it does. Everything's going to get in. It protects from bacteria. Well, bushes are back. Thank goodness. I, yes. Facial hair, nothing. Okay. So. Except some people are very attracted. We'll get there. You're right. You're absolutely right. And we're, we're going to get there. Okay. Not me. I like a little, (laughs) a little is okay. But I don't, I don't want to like a long thing. Okay. If you can ponytail it, too long for me. (laughs) So we know this is an evolutionary thing because losing 50% of the female population wouldn't make sense. Like that we would die die out if that were the case. So it's not that it would be, if it was evolutionary, it'd be present across both sexes. So instead, thick, mature facial hair is present most almost exclusively on on the male half of the species and its only job is to sit on the face of its wearer as a signal to everyone who crosses their path so what signal does that sense but that creates evolutionary power it just if they're reproducing more because it's an attractive thing if they're attracting me it's just not an evolution like it doesn't serve a it's a different different type like yes it's helpful but it's fluid like it's not something that's been like mirrored down to and that's and across cultures and time we'll talk about here too about the different trends that go with it it's much more of a fluid process of attraction than like okay evolution has pruned things in or out if that makes sense like losing your pinky toe over time is because you haven't used it enough and that's going to happen across the species. Well, I think certain cultures are more hairy than others, mm, but you'll, you'll see that it's not just about being hairy across time, how they handle the hair on their face is different. And oh, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Okay. So 
Okay, it's going to get a little complicated. So, University of New Mexico professor Jeff Joffrey Joffrey Miller. King Joffrey. Um, <laughs> he's a uh, one of the preeminent evolutionary psychologists in this field. Said the two main explanations for male facial hair are the intersexual attraction, attracting females, and intrasexual competition, intimidating rival males. And basically, that that signal is to a potential partner. So it communicates, like you were saying, virility, sexual maturity, hubba bubba, you know, hubba bubba. Um, it's also a gum, I think. Uh, so these things are taken into account and help put off potential rivals too. Um, it could be same sex. It can show. Also. It can be. Yeah. I believe guys that are hairy in gay culture are called bears. Bears. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And probably throughout this, that males and females will be mentioned most just because of the research using those titles. But I also agree that there's fluidity with it. for the bears. The, so the signal that facial hair sends also tends to be stronger and more reliable between males who are commonly rivals than it is between males and females who are commonly partners. So just research wise um it's actually stronger between rivals than it is for attraction okay yeah so that's why they have those beard competitions beard competitions that's the whole reason it's like <laughs> how do you explain a hot dog contest then i don't know um, nobody can in fact evolutionary biologists would tell you um that while some females really like facial hair and some don't and some could care less more often than not attraction has to do more uh, with beard density than anything else. Yeah, nobody wants a scraggly beard. Okay, but like, why? Because <laughs> no, like, why does that matter? How do we decide that matters? Because it's not a good beard. Okay, but that's weird. That's really weird. But it's like saying your eyebrows are not. That's a social enough. norm, though. Agreed. Like you can hear everybody okay. say, "Like my beard won't my hasn't beard. come in. <laughs> my beard doesn't come in." Um. I can't grow a full beard. I always have this hole right here. <laughs> yes, yes. So if you're in a place where there's a lot of beards, like a lumberjack convention, a clean shaven face is actually more appealing. But if you're surrounded by bare faces, then a beard is actually better. Do you like a beard? I feel like after reading like this research that I question now. Like if I, I feel like I need to be put into these situations. I need to go to a lumberjack contest <laughs> and see someone with an, un, like a shaven face and see if I feel more attracted or not. Well, I'm on Spokane beard and mustache. <laughs> so this is, I'm so on their this Facebook is a new revelation for me that you're on their Facebook group and it makes my well, day. Because when I was in roller derby, we did some co uh, events. So I know like the organizer. Okay. Yeah. We should go to an event sometime and then it's see very how serious. we feel about it. It's there are like many really uh, criteria. Is it weird, <laughs> though, that like whatever the majority is, the standout might be more sexually attractive? Yeah, I don't, mm, not to me. I'm not I into the beard, see. the long beard. Oh, you're not into long beard. Gotcha. So a little hair. Okay, here's the thing. I'll, I'm okay with like a bald face. If they have the full hair on top, but if you're bald on top and bald, and bald on the on face, bottom? that's too much skin. <laughs> okay. So this is called, here's your science stuff for you. Thank you. 
In evolutionary genetics, it's called <laughs> negative frequency dependence, which is science speak for the idea that when a trait is rare within a population, it actually tends to have an advantage. So everybody's like, ooh, look at that right. one. So in guppies and <laughs> fish, for example, males with a unique color combination and different spots mate more often and are preyed upon less. This is a huge competitive advantage. It's like going to Vegas, expecting to lose a thousand dollars, but hoping to break even only to end up winning a thousand instead. That's a $2,000 swing. It's the same thing for that trait. The trait goes from fighting for its life to being the life of the party. Got it. Okay. The downside is that the competitive advantage can result in overpopulation of others with the same trait very quickly because of all everybody's like i want to do that all the sexing it gets of very interesting looking guppies means what it's rarity becomes common right it's just like trends right everyone wants to do that and everybody follows but then once everybody does it it's not cool anymore so once you go to a beer competition competition everyone has beards and you see the one guy without guess what you're attractive yo or weird i think it can swing either way Depending. If it's too weird, then it's like if it's too get out, I mean, get out. Let's just throw out a Naomi caveat here that <laughs> if it's too weird, you're out. Yeah. Too weird, <laughs> no bueno. So it's a yo-yoing, really, of like between common and uncommon. It has to be uncommon, but back ap- and back, but yeah. appealing. Yeah. Not uncommon, weird. I well, think. but then that all depends on whatever the social norms at the time happen to be. Um, so it also explains why the dominant theory of the evolution of facial hair began to resolve, resolve around intersexual competition because it's not enough to simply be attractive. You also have to be more attractive than the people around you. It's not just being attractive. So which difficult. is kind of what you're saying. Like if you're weird, if you're so outlandish from everybody right. else, then it's not going to work. So Sporting a killer stash or bushy beard is only as effective evolutionarily as long as it still makes you part of the hot new guppy thing around the pond, right? Do did you ever watch the Tick cartoon? The original. Yes. Do you yeah. remember the episode the mustachioed? I don't feeling? remember anything about that show uh, other than the character. It's one of my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, with the mustache. I'll put it on our Facebook mustachio. Group. Okay, yeah, yeah that, that mustachioed feeling. Wait till we post this so people know what it means. Unless you want to give a caption. Okay. I'm just going to post it. So I'm going to talk about like history now. So throughout history, people have had facial hair or shaved it as a response to choices of their enemies and their rivals. The ancient Romans were clean shaven for 400 years because the ancient Greeks, their rivals, rivals during the Hellenistic period, celebrated beards as symbols of elevated status differentiate. And like if they're that way we're going to be the okay. other way right so for the 270 God, years humans are so dumb, so dumb right <laughs> for the 270 years that the english lived under the threat of viking invasions um a period of uh, 793 to yes, 1066 ad um Englishmen were clean shaven as a cultural reaction to the bearded Viking invaders. During the Protestant uh, Reformation, many Protestants grew out their beards in protest against Catholicism, where priests were typically clean shaven. So you can see this like just retaliation based on cultural variances as well. And whoever their enemy was, they had to be different, which I thought was fascinating. (laughs) And now I'm going to like pay attention, like, who is this person who is their enemy? And I want to see what their faces look like. 
So what's even more fascinating is how great an impact the whoever like high status individuals and their facial trends impacted literally everybody. So the emperor Hadrian brought beards back to Rome in century AD, like one person brought beards back. Um, and the entire leadership class of the Roman empire followed suit with beards at that point, because Hadrian had a beard. And, and it could be a religious expression as well. Yep, absolutely. Like Orthodox Jews, they have the little curl to pay us. Yeah, and they like can't, something about like not cutting the corners of it or something. I read yeah, about it that. It has to be like a thing. In the Middle Ages, Henry V was the first king of England to go clean shaven. And because he was such a great monarch, English society, and seven kings after that followed with beardlessness. He probably had a strong chin though. Probably, probably. So <laughs> there wasn't until another Henry the help me with this Roman numeral. <laughs> what is that? The Ace. Henry the Eighth. Henry the Eighth, I am. I am. Henry the Eighth, I am. Yes, came along. He was very <laughs> egotistical. He had a like murderous glory about him. And I am. I am. And the beard made a comeback after seven kings worth of beardlessness because he was so like he. He was proud of Was he an influencer? Yes, he distinguished himself <laughs> different from his predecessors. And so he then donned a beard. So, okay, not just facial hair that the choice of rulers made. Um, you can see in the evolution of, of specific facial hair as well. So um, the names of facial hair is also linked typically with influential figures as well. And changes of taste over time happen, often influencing high-status men in competitive environments. But nothing moves the way, moves the needle more than a good crisis. So the CDC with the fast, the facial hair things and the masks things. Mm. So people have been shaving their beards because of it, COVID? Yeah, like it, it made wearing or made having a beard fall under scrutiny of like, Maybe there's more germs or maybe communicable diseases could happen because of it. And there was some negative connotations with Duck Dynasty as well. Ah, that kind of swung the pendulum a little bit. Yeah, so you can kind of see the cultural Mm -hmm. sway. Absolutely. So that's not, this isn't the first time that a disease outbreak impacted facial hair scrutiny. So in 1916, there was a piece in McClure's magazine where one doctor managed to blame facial hair for the spread of nearly every communicable disease known to humanity. I think you can't get crabs in your beard. There is no way of computing. This is a quote from it. There is no way of computing the number of bacteria and noxious germs that may lurk in the Amazonian jungles of a well-whiskered face, but their numbers must be legions. So fuck with more column inches, who knows what else could be tied into that beard. So the, the awareness right. of disease can impact people's awareness of their facial hair. Right. Okay. So, okay. Let me go here to now. I would not want, I want uh, to show you beards over to time. be in close quarters with someone whose beard smelled like food. Oh, agreed. <laughs> agreed. So you mentioned sideburns. Can I, yeah, talk? Can yeah. I tell you where that came? Do you know Please. where that word comes from? No, I would love to know. I'm so excited. Before the 1860s, facial hair was really viewed as radical. Like that was not okay. 
Um, when we went into the Civil War, that's when it became a symbol of masculinity and power. And one of the popular styles was called sideburns, which is that bushy beard with clean shaven chin. And it was actually influenced by Civil War General Ambrose Burnside. And they changed. Oh, look at him. Look at his sideburns. See, now his are like connecting with the mustache. This is the OG here. This is where it all comes from. It's like a nice W of sideburn yes, up to the nose mustache sideburn. Wings involved. That's lovely. Lovely. But see, he's baldish. He's baldish. But so look if at he his didn't face. have, yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, if agreed. He, if his face was naked, agreed. it'd be too much skin. But again, this didn't come up. He would have looked fucked. He would have fucked without that. Imagine that. But again, what does it take? Bald baby face. It takes war with another country who may not be prominent in facial hair to then try to demonstrate authority and power. Okay. All right. Here's the next one. Okay. 1860s. The chin curtain or the chin strap coming in with Lincoln. 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 Wow. Look how crooked the bottom of his face is. I never noticed that. So that's considered the chin curtain. Um, it was for those who weren't into the sideburn look, and this was kind of the alternative, whereas the clean shave next to the clean shave and mustache. Yeah, but look how scraggly actually his beard kind of is. That is not a a clean but this is what's interesting beard. is like our concept of clean beards is now like the no, it has era, to be razor sharp era of t- like 2015. I mean, the tools are probably different. He probably had to, like, uh, hone that with an axe or something. He didn't something. get pubes plucked into his face. That didn't happen. Okay, okay, here's the next one. 1890, full beards came See, I don't like that where you can't see their mouth. Where the mustache, where like, hangs kind of down. Thing. Like, yeah. you cannot even see his mouth. Yes. That, that is a mustache curtain. <laughs> So I am not into that. So the whole thing is that it does look more unkempt. Like, how do you kiss that face? You 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 gotta like burrow in there with your lips. You gotta dig in. Dig in. Thank you. Dig in and get Mr. Whoever that is. Oh, President Rutherford. Sorry. Can I just tell you right? Sorry, President. Okay. Can I tell you that Rutherford? I had a project. This is bringing back memories in elementary school where I had to do a president presentation and my president my president i was assigned president rutherford b hayes and my dad helped me make the best did you talk about that mustache the best puppet he had that full mustache and my dad did probably 90 percent of the work i hope it exists somewhere in my dad's garage i hope so too it was the best project i've ever seen and my dad seriously helped me way more than any parent should to get full credit love you dad okay then we have in early 1900s, the handlebar mustache. The uh, mustache. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. not a fan personally, but whatever. So, but see, like, this was started in Europe. That's a mustache. During you just World War have I. that. You don't have any of the others it's, going it's on. Clear. Yeah, yeah. I have difficulty categorizing it when there's also the beard. So, this is President Taft who president william howard taft who made the handlebar mustache popular in the u.s and because he curled up the ends intentionally so that's what that is they use a wax a wax yes the 1920s we get into mustache and this is like um charles lofton is that how you say his last name um wore this and in the it's a fine mustache it's yeah it's kind of that pencil mustache look yeah in the 1920s okay 
Then we get in the 1930s with his, the toothbrush, <laughs> which leads to a photo of Adolf Hitler. No. <laughs> um, so this was actually very popular in that time and then faded away, obviously, because of the connotation with Hitler. But um, in Europe, especially, that was actually very popular. popular. Interestingly, Charlie Chaplin did that with yes. face paint. Yes. And even Walt Disney had that mustache for a while. Um it was a characteristic of class at the time. It was supposed to sign, uh, it was supposed to not signify and not dignify, signify, signify class. All right, not yeah, those other words. Signify and signify. Oh my gosh! Yes, Clark Gable. Nineteen forties is frankly, when my dear. I don't give a damn. Frankly, my dear, came into play. The epitome and- of intimate aggression (laughs) the eyebrows too right good use of eyebrows so the thinner look was was used at during the 1940s when um no never mind okay okay (laughs) do you want to give a confession no i was gonna share a story about one of my children but i decided i probably shouldn't i'm gonna help your children say no so (laughs) the 1950s is when the goatee took a scene yes so most men were clean shaven, but facial hair was uh, flourishing. And after the Renaissance in the fifties, facial hair as the goatee so started coming around picture. the mouth. Right? So to be a goatee, you're around the mouth. Around the mouth. There's no connection to the head hair. No, there is a solid blank around. <laughs> Nothing's there. 1970s, the horseshoe mustache brought to you. Uh, by- <laughs> gross i am not a fan of the horseshoe mustache. no uh, not at all so um you know things from like metallica frontman james hetfield guns axel and rose, rose, had, rose had when a, did he is also known as the porn stash yes he did i'm gonna have to look that in up in the 70s um it's also in many biker groups popped up axel rose was not in the 70s i'm sorry okay I'm well whatever this is when guns and roses popular. Do you even know who Axel Rose is? Oh my Personally, god, you don't even know. Did I write about him in my journal? No. Do I like their music? Not really. Okay, well, I had a time me? where I did like some GNR songs. I it was definitely not in the 80s. It was definitely in the 90s. From a place of personal... Sweet Child of Mine at one point was like one of my favorite songs. I'm looking it up. Guns and... Roses. I just typed in just not to look it even up. the word guns and everybody no, 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 is no. head shaking with me right now. Shit. Axel Rose in the 70s. This is what I want to know. Here we go. Does he have a handlebar? He looks like a preteen. <laughs> yeah, because they weren't a 70s band. Why? Okay. Insider magazine. <laughs> this is 80s stuff. Maybe though, hold on. Axel Rose. I'm gonna find this. Axel Rose porn stash. I'm sure I'll find something. <laughs> That's all 80s. I'm not I'm not saying the air is right anymore. I'm just saying there has to be a photo. I'm not finding one. I know because it didn't wait. Exist. Is that it right there? Is that him? I don't know. Yeah, but that's probably in the 80s. I, I get that. I'm just saying it might not be fully wrong. It's partially wrong. 1980s. We have the, yes. the Chevron mustache. Tom Selleck. Just, just that 
dick and full dick on say, the upper lip. <laughs> I one of my favorite high school memories is going home after school, <laughs> making some top ramen, <laughs> setting up my TV tray, and watching Magnum PI. I love that this was like your experience. No, this was these were like some good times. It was oh, like that Tom, time after like... school before like my mom came home from work. Oh, it was my time. Prime time. My time. Prime time. Yes, I fucking loved Magnum PI. Okay. So I'm sure it does not hold up. I have okay. not looked, but will I'm you sure it for the fans describe the beard or the m- facial hair? The mustache. Yes. And that's it. Okay. Just the mustache, thick and full. It's just the mustache. Yeah, it's like a, a broad broom mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Early 2000s, we, like the five o'clock shadow. Okay, that's what I I took. can get behind. Okay, I like a five o'clock shadow as well. So here's Brad Pitt with the stubbles and um, you can't George hate, Clooney too is another one. hate Brad Pitt. No, I like the, I like the kind of messy look for some reason. I've I tried, but... He's a damn good actor. He's not easily reached. Is that what you're saying? Well, like you want to discount him because he's good looking, but I don't. You can't. I don't want. Well, to I've tried. Him. Is I've that tried. a new one? Yeah. Great. Pour me, pour me up. So you up. Okay. So today are the lumber sexuals. Is what the beard is called. What lumber what sexuals? It's it's the lumber man look, but a well trimmed lumberman look so they they put prince harry in this category chris hemsworth it's like a, a very well tailored chris full beard. hemsworth though sure. is not a human being just, TBH. just yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't think we can compare anything to well, chris and hemsworth. I think it's, ooh, all three of these have tasted very different so um, i told you it's a very sweet. sake sampler so prince harry kept his beard um for the royal wedding, which I which is unusual. Oh, they and, usually shave down. Yeah, and I think that's a again kind of that cultural piece and like the breaking of the cultural cycle. Like, what's to come now if someone influences? Is it kind of a royal that? rebel? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay. So yes, yes. Okay, I'm still going. Believe it or not, there was no, a I'm, lot about facial hair. I still have a lot more to talk about, so let's go. Great. Here we go. We still we just opened our third sake bottle. Okay. Tiny bottles, people. Tiny bottles. They're tiny. Shared between two. And they're Jeez. like an individual one. So I we've just only don't, had like don't a want people to like think we're like talking about a giant like bottle. These are tiny and tiny. If people are new listeners, they're either going to love us for it or they're gonna leave us for it. And we're love used us to or that. leave us. Yeah, that's our motto. Love us or leave us. Can we have stickers? <laughs> Same yes. Um okay. So I just want to show how far back this goes. So 30,000 BC, there's ancient cave paintings that depict men without beards and suggest that people shaved or removed unwanted hair with clamshells, which were used like tweezers or with blades that made seems, of flint. Right? Like I've heard the clamshell shaving thing. I just don't, can't picture. Dude, it was a thing. How hard you would have to <laughs> dig at your face okay but i have to say to like, remove hair with a fucking clam i read a whole article about how like scared men were of straight razors and that's kind of like how barber shops formed so you would rather use a clam shell well this was pre all of that this was like 
cave painting. No, straight reds are I get. Okay, but this I think you bring up a good point. I it's mean, like you're like either gonna sh- get a shave or get your throat slit. I you don't know. Not, I did not crapshoot. I did not think that shaving would have gone back this far. Because to me, it's such a like I don't know, like a what's the word? Modern. No. Shallow, shallow. <laughs> um, it's such a shallow thing to do, in my opinion. Like it serves no purpose. So why? So it's sh- kind of it's shocking to me that it happened this far back, which means that they're probably, like they're saying, is more to it. So well, if you don't shave in some way, it's just gonna go on forever. I mean, from a hunter perspective, if you're out hunting, I mean, does the crotch hair go forever? You can't have a three foot beard Can you have a out there necessarily. I don't think your crotch hair goes do you, long do you tr- forever. Do we know that? Does. Do we know that from science? No, but I'm going to look it up. Okay. It's probably a Guinness work. Get ready. Get ready for the fall. For longest <laughs> crotch hair. Naomi's going to do it. Okay. In 3000 BC, copper razors arrived in Indian Egypt. So, like, we know it's a thing. And then 3000 to three. 332 BC, ancient Egyptian nobles started shaving their heads and bodies because they valued hairlessness. And remember, though, that like back then, lice was a big challenge. So staying clean. I talked about that. You can get pubic lice in your beard. Except, so yeah, yes, yes, that's true. Men and sometimes women of noble birth wore artificial beards as sign of divinity as well. And you could also wear an artificial crotch beard great which is called a merkin i love it and the god osiris wore a beard as well and wigs were also common to protect from the head from sun so like it often was tied to divinity power authority and then 2900 to 500 bc mesopotamian rulers and elite elites wore beards which are signs of strength masculinity 1500 to 1200 BC, Scandinavian burial mounds contained elaborate bronze razors with handle shapes like the head of horses. Mm. Very elaborate. Again, this was just like shocking to me because I thought this was such a 20th century. I mean, I, I know it happened before then, but like, I don't know. It seems so shallow. It seems so surface. I don't understand it. Well, it's your face and your face has yeah. utmost importance. I mean, that makes sense, but I didn't think about it that deeply prior to I mean, if people didn't shave. Right, right, right. It would just run wild. So 800 to 600 AD, the ancient Greeks were very proud of beards. The ability to grow a full beard at the time was a sign of high status and wisdom, with many Greek men wishing to emulate the gods of Zeus and Hercules. Yeah. Oh, Heracles. Both were shown to have huge beards, and Greeks only cut their beards during times of mourning. That was interesting. 400 BC, ancient Romans reacted against the beards of the Greeks, like I mentioned, and clipped it completely. And the 4th century AD, Amanius Marcellanius, a Roman soldier, wrote, do you suppose that your beard creates brains? Take my advice and shave it off at once, for that beard is a creator of lice, not brains. (laughs) Oh, ancient. You know, there's some chemicals that can help with that. (laughs) 400 to 300 BC, Alexander the Great was clean shaven and encouraged his soldiers to shave before battle as beards could be grabbed by enemies in hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, if it's excessively long, it's going to get in the way. Like, if you you do something with your hair where it can be grabbed easily, like, I remember Mm -hmm. you talking about that. Or, like, jewelry, any of that stuff. Battle. Think about battle. 
300 BC, young Roman men celebrated their first shave and parties with gifts symbolizing the transition to adulthood. And Roman men either went to the barber at the start of their day or had a live-in servant help them shave. And Romans let their beards grow when in mourning. So opposite. Julius Caesar in 50 BC plucked out his own beard hairs and many Roman men followed. Ow. That's like... One by one. Imagine how long that would take, but how much time? What else are you doing? Well, (laughs) and that's not electrolysis. It's going to grow right back. Right. Silly. So, 793, oh, just kidding, 100 AD, Roman Empire Hadrian revived the growing beard throughout Rome because he wished to hide the blemishes on his skin, like you mentioned. Ah. So, Romans' attitudes towards beard would kind of go in and out throughout history. The older men equated beards with wisdom and younger men thought the sight of a man with a full beard looked old and unkempt. So it's like when you're young, you hate it. And when you're old, you like it. I get that. I get that too. 793 AD to 1066 AD with the Vikings invading Britain. They depicted the Vikings as unruly in manner and looking with unkempt, but this isn't actually true. Their trend actually became beardless during that time so they were bearded and then went beardless so they too went through a period of beard and beardless you get another drink for that i know okay middle ages beards went in and out of fashion depending on habits so english uh kings we talk about them going in and out and the protestants we talked about them the French barber in 1769, Jean-Jacques Perret, published The Art of Learning to Shave Oneself. The Perret razor... Leave it to the French, <laughs> who we love. We love was invented as a safety measure with a wooden guard to hold the razor blade in place to prevent deep cuts. So, like, now we're getting safety measures in 1769 by the French. It's amazing. 1789 to 1861, the first 15th U.S. president... We're beardless. 1800 straight steel razors were popular now. Men had to rub the blade against a usual, like a leather strap. I remember that. From the I 1800s. mean, I don't personally remember it, but I remember that from yes. fictional film. Yes. <laughs> um, the blades also needed to be like sharpened, um, often done by a barber. And then in 1861 and 1913, Abraham Lincoln um advised to grow a beard by a little girl told him that which i didn't know Ah. um every president then up to william howard taft wore facial hair except andrew johnson who was impeached so let's just keep that in mind and william mckinney who was assassinated so it doesn't really count beards were were, sorry william mckinney sorry were required beards were required to be carefully maintained in the the whole victorian era And in 1895, King Gillette invented and began to sell disposable. Gillette. Yes. They began to sell disposable razors with the blade, basically like, you know, the honing and leather strap (laughs) wasn't needed anymore. Okay. 1913 to present. All presidents have been clean shaven since William Howard Taft. Interesting. I wonder if that'll change. What do you think? I mean, beards have become a trend. Maybe. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I don't see it changing in the near future. Why? Just because it's such a precedent right now. So they want to be the offset of the of the norm. They want to be the the rare guppy spots. 
I don't think that's going to get elected right now. <laughs> so in 1913 to present, all presidents have been clean shaven. Already said that. 1928, Jacob Schick invented the electric razor. Yes. So that was in 1928. I wouldn't even have thought that that was that long ago. In the 1930, the U.S. military prohibited beards because they prevented the tight seal for gas masks. Helpful to know. Yeah, I mean, the military plays into this a lot in present mm-hmm. times. Religion plays mm-hmm. into this. Absolutely. As far as having beards or not, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of either end of the spectrums there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then there's cult, hipster culture in the middle. Yeah, what is that even? It's not religion, but like just as cutthroat. Well, you can win prizes. That's exciting. In 1990, J.N. Reed and Elizabeth Blunk's paper in Social Behavior and Personality found consistently more positive perceptions of social and physical attractiveness, personality, competency, and composure for men with facial hair. In the 1990s. The 1999, in Police versus City of Newark, the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in favor of two Muslim policemen who were objected um, to shaving their beards on religious grounds. So here we start to see law coming in to protect uh, different variances of beardedness. <laughs> and then currently another example, Amish men actually shave until they're married and then never again. Observe it. And their beards are like yeah. below the chin. Below the chin. Yeah, super low. It's a unique look. Yeah. Observant Jewish men, according to this, Leviticus, they follow Leviticus 1927, is that right? Forbidding them to shave the corners of their beard. Most men decide whether or not to shave based on personal preference, but shavings, ease and convenience has drawn more people to be clean shaven. So I'm fascinated with facial hair now because I now I'm going to judge everybody. Well, remember when I did the freak show topic, Mm -hmm. I talked about how it's become actually a sense of pride. Like it's a growing movement with women who have beards. Yes. Instead of like having to hide it, like more women are just being more like out and proud with it, which I love. Which I totally think ties in with that uh, because really what I'm seeing, it it is about cultural in and out about. um, Yeah, there's no right and wrong. It's like the thumb up and down. But like, what does that really mean other than preference at the time? Yeah. So, you know, but I do think facial hair is very important. Mm hmm as far as it's on your face and everything about your face is like forward present when you're interacting with people. And it gives some, and and it it gives really a lot of messages about who you are, like, which can be good and bad. Which I think like people who have acne or who don't have perfect bone structure, like a beard can give them a way to add, an option. add status in a way that they wouldn't otherwise be able to, perhaps. Just don't make it smell like soup. And just know. Wash it. Just know it's a yo-yo. You know, you may be in one day, you're going to be out the other. So get ready. And if someone tells you Ew, you should shave, it believe them. You're no longer the guppy in the good bowl. And until next time. Uh, what did I talk about? Oh. Your cat may be out to get you, so beware. Bye. Keep one eye open.